Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about the Anthem Super Bowl controversy, toxic train wrecks, white firefighters, Buttigieg and Biden, COVID hypnosis versus reality, and the two-pronged attack on free speech. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis doing my show from home and it's going just great. And want to mean every once in a while to thank Real News PR, Real News Communication Networks, and my producer, Emilio Diaz, who uh, just pulls the show together um, every single day and with a smile on his face and so helpful. And I'm very grateful. Uh, they're really their hard work and their professionalism make this show possible, especially makes it possible to do the show from home. So I'm going to start first with just a quick picture. I sent to Emilio. There's a picture of Carrie Lake, uh, the woman I believe did win the governor's race in Arizona, but she was not named the winner. Uh, and she attended the Super Bowl. And there's a picture, there she is at the Super Bowl. As you can see, she is seated. Um, and she is seated at the Super Bowl actually during the time that someone was on the field singing the, the Black National Anthem, the so-called Black National Anthem. You can come back to me. So she didn't make a big fuss. She went to the Super Bowl game. She sat during what they called the National Black Anthem. And then, of course, she stood up for the real National Anthem, which we'll play in just a moment. But what I wanted to say about that is this is a, um, you know, a, a lot of people were saying, you know, why couldn't she, why does she have to cause trouble? Why does she have to just sit down? You know, it's disrespectful. The NFL people decided to play, have someone sing the National Black Anthem. You know, why don't you just go along with it? But I really want to commend her for not going along with it and for staying seated and not making a fuss. Really, she didn't. She was asked later why she didn't stand and she gave a great answer. But I just want to, so actually I'll tell you her answer first because she's asked, you know, what, why didn't she just stand up? What, what you know, difference could it possibly make? And she basically said, um, you know, um, she's, um, she thinks it's a nice song, it's a nice words, not black national anthem, nice song and all that. But we in America don't have a women's national anthem. I'm not quoting her. This is the gist of what she said. Uh, we don't have a women's national anthem. We don't have uh, a Hispanic national anthem. We don't have a gay national anthem. We don't have a straight people's national anthem. We just have one national anthem. And it is what we all know the national anthem is. And so to call another song the black national anthem and to honor it in the way we do at a big at the Super Bowl game where we it is the entire country is watching. I mean, a vast majority of America is watching the Super Bowl. They're in the stands. And to have someone stand up and sing what they're calling the Black National Anthem is actually divisive of, it is, it is a divisive um, step or message toward the unity that underlies real America. The national anthem is everyone's national anthem. Every country has a national anthem. I'm unaware of any other country that allows an ethnic or racial minority or even majority to put out a competing national anthem. But the black national anthem, uh, I was actually reading about earlier today, it was written in 1900. 
So it's been around a long time. It's a song that was written among people who were standing up as part of the uh, movement to bring equality to black Americans, um, very, very tied to the NAACP. And so for a long time, it was a song that I assume was sung at gatherings, the NAACP and others. But to uh, elevate it to the idea that it is a competing national anthem, or worse, it's a national anthem for a racially segregated portion of America is very divisive to America. And that divisiveness is intentional. This is me talking now, not Carrie Lake. The divisiveness is intentional. The idea as Marxists always do to divide people into silos of color, race, religion, national origin, something like that, and then to pit them against each other. This is the ongoing cultural Marxism in our country. It is the idea of tribalizing America. And it is really what is so divisive uh, about it is that in America, the entire point of the declaration statements about America, the entire point of the constitution was to unite a country around ideas, around the ideas spelled out in the declaration of independence. We're all created equal. We are endowed by our creator. There is a God who they're calling our creator who uh, were endowed by our creator with rights, all of us equally, inherently, because we were born. And so this beautiful idea of the founding of America is absolutely intended to be a uniting of people, completely putting aside race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, everything else. It's about uniting people behind ideas, the higher ideas of living in liberty. And that is what is memorialized in many of the patriotic things we do in this country, including honoring a national anthem. So I commend her for uh, politely sitting down. I commend her for her statement. Um, and she just said, I'm just, here's what she said. Um, I'm just here for the national anthem. She responded to uh, one critic. And then she just said, you know, I'm against a black national anthem for the same reason I'm against a white national anthem, a gay national anthem, a straight national anthem, a Jewish national anthem, Jewish national anthem, a Christian national anthem, etc." I'm here for America. Really commend that much more. And you know, it's symbolically standing up just to go along to get along is part of the reason we've gotten into such trouble in this country because we somehow think it's more polite to let people tribalize and divide America. I'm not saying everyone who enjoyed the Black National Anthem or who enjoyed standing up for it has this agenda of tribalism and dividing America, but the people pushing it, the idea behind pushing a national anthem dedicated to exalting the story and the message of one particular skin color in this country is inherently and intentionally divisive. It is very healthy for all of America to say, no thanks, we have one national anthem. We respect your right to have songs and whatever you have, songs and clubs and uh, cultures and speeches and whatever you have uh, that refer to a particular ethnicity or national um, ethnicity um, or skin color. But in America, there's one national anthem, and this, my friends, is what it is, played at the Super Bowl and sung uh, by, I think it was Chris Stapleton. So I sent that to Emilio also. You can play the real national anthem. It actually brought tears to the eyes of the Philadelphia coach, which you'll see in this clip. Broad stride. 
Okay, I love that the Philadelphia coach could not contain himself and got tears in his eyes listening to that rendition, and a little bit untraditional, you know, playing guitar and singing, beautiful rendition of the national anthem. And we have to insist at a time in America where there's so much division, so much intentional division being created in this country, we have one national anthem, we all get behind it, we all love it, we all, and that, that I mean, the whole singing of it really brought many people uh, to tears, and certainly that, I just thought it was incredibly touching. The Philadelphia coach um, got teary-eyed about just listening to what the words of that song mean and what the meaning of America is. America really is unique, the extraordinary, and the great, and we need more people to remember that in this country, and that my very fine friend is today's first five. Okay, so I talked, uh, this one, uh, this next seg segment, I haven't touched on it, and this has been story been kind of unfolding about the toxic train wrecks and of course a horrible, horrible train wreck uh, that occurred. Uh, and I heard someone in the town in Ohio where this happened being interviewed and he was calling it Palestine. I mean, usually you see that word spell, you think it's Palestine, but um, this at least person living there said Palestine, Ohio. Um, and so there was, you know, a, um, a horrible train wreck and then compounding the uh, incredibly, um, disastrous consequence of that, which I'll share with you in a moment, um, there has been, to many people's view, kind of an insufficient reaction or almost just a too cavalier, too dismissive, too unserious of reaction by the federal government. So I just this moment, uh, literally while we were listening to Chris Sable sent um, Emilio, my happy producer, a couple of pictures. I want to show, I don't know if he got them yet, um, but anyway, I, I sent him in an email these pictures of what that town is looking like right now. So this is a little town, uh, Palestine, Ohio. They had a train derailment, um, which you know itself was, of course, problematic and awful. Um, but what actually occurred, so yeah, there is one picture, um, and that you can, yeah, you can see. Then the next one shows this, I mean, it looks like a nuclear plume. I mean, it looks horrible. What is occurring, essentially, because of this train wreck in East Palestine, is this uh, amazing and very dangerous spread of um, just really bad chemicals. Um, I did put up at our website today at americachemitalk.org 
Um, I put up the piece, uh, one of my favorite writers I mentioned to you often is Sam Faddis. Sam Faddis, F-A-D-D-I-S. He writes at AND Magazine Substack. Um, he's, he spoke at my summit last year. He's just a, he's been on the show numerous times. He's just a, just a great writer and thinker. Um, but what happened was that so they have the train wreck and uh, many cars got derailed and were you know tumbled, as you can see in that picture. And then the decision was made to uh, potentially avoid the a fire that might occur. Um, so what they did um, to avoid, it was actually 50 cars went off track, 50 of them. 10 of them carried various types of hazardous chemicals. Five of them were carrying liquid vinyl chloride. Uh, chloride. That comes out to 1 million pounds of a dangerous toxic substance. That was bad enough. And then the Department of Transportation under Pete Buttigieg decided to make it worse. The authorities made the decision to burn the final chloride to prevent the other derailed tanker cars from exploding. When vinyl chloride burns, it turns into hydrogen chloride. When hydrogen chloride enters the atmosphere, it bonds with water vapor and forms hydrochloric acid. This now means hundreds of thousands of pounds of acid have been released into the environment. They're talking about people in that area in Ohio and beyond because there's that enormous, it looked like a nuclear cloud is spreading. It is getting into the water, getting into the river. They've had people now reporting on, you know, thousands and thousands of fish in the water near this derailment and then the fire that compounded the problem, uh, getting into the water, killing fish by the thousands and thousands, uh, people becoming ill, families reporting uh, getting very ill, chickens dying. One woman said just all of her chickens, healthy one day, dead the next. So it's not a minor um, derailment and not a, it, was, it appears to have been a catastrophic decision. And I, I, maybe it will turn out to be even an ignorant decision. People didn't realize what would happen if they burned the um, the contents of this one car, of, of several cars, to prevent the uh, possibility um, that other, um, you, you know, that the, there would be a fire and spread to other cars. But the burning made it worse, much, much worse. And so I'm telling you all this to say, I, I know there have been other instances in America right around the same time. We had a derailment in Houston, a derailment in South Carolina. There was an incident in Tucson, Arizona. It wasn't a train, but a truck that went off the road and toppled and had very toxic contents that exploded into the air. I am not, I, I've heard some people kind of opining, are we under attack? Are all these things connected? I am not convinced that is the case, but I am convinced that when you are the head of the Department of Transportation, and this is occurring under your watch, compounded, of course, with occurring under his watch, just endless, endless challenges about supply chain shortages and trucking industry problems and ports of entry problems, uh, things being backed up. The media doesn't report them anymore. Um, the Department of Transportation, you know, that's really Pete Buttigieg's job. Pete Buttigieg appointed by, he's a cabinet member, secretary of, Depart of the Department of Transportation, his job is to oversee transportation issues. Again, not necessarily blaming him that this thing occurred in Ohio, but I do want to use the opportunity to point out the just utterly juvenile and unserious nature of the Biden administration. If you're Pete Buttigieg and you're Biden and you've got a toxic cloud, deadly cloud of acid spreading, and you understand where Ohio is, the, the, it's in the air, it's in the water, it's in the Ohio River, it's moving, I mean, it's moving to impact thousands and, and actually millions of Americans. 
And it's being treated, uh, the first response uh, by the Biden administration was widely criticized because Biden kind of sound like, he didn't say, oh, get over it, but it was like that tone it was very dismissive and like, well, come on, let's not get too serious. That's okay, don't worry about it. And it's not okay, it's, very, it's lethal. It is uh, not under control. And it's now this train derailment in Ohio happened on February 3rd, February 3rd. We're now on the 15th. So we are, you know, 12 days past it, um, and we don't really have a um, much of an explanation for what happened, um, and we don't have much of an explanation for what it is are being done, the remedial measures being taken to protect the people. Now, the EPA is saying, oh yeah, we're right in there, we're all over it. Another, uh, FEMA's uh, saying they're all in, all over it. But they need to be talking about this. This is a threat to millions of Americans' lives and health. This should be priority one for at least Pete Buttigieg and really the Biden administration, because it's, you know, like 9-11 happened on George Bush's watch. Other, you know, hurricanes happen and tornadoes happen. And, you know, things happen on the watch of a particular president and particular FEMA or other organ, uh, other agencies that are relevant. But the answer is, what do you sense from them? What do you hear from them? So Pete Buttigieg was widely criticized. And I add, I, I agree with the criticism that during the course of his this time when America's looking, saying, is anyone doing, is everything being done about this uh, train derailment? Pete Buttigieg spoke um, at a conference where he's talking about, um, in fact, one of the quick things I want to tell you, East Palestine railway toxins, toxins reached the Ohio River, contamination plume traveling about one mile an hour, municipal water intakes are, are problematic, people are being, I mean, it's a very, very serious situation. So, Buttigieg, at the time of this very serious situation, had the opportunity to speak at a summit. So he's speaking at a um, at a, a summit talking about in, in the capacity as his role of transportation secretary. And he had some remarks to make um, about uh, racism. So I want to have actually ask Emilia to pay, play this quickly, this these comments that Pete Buttigieg had to say as this disaster is unfolding in Ohio. Here's Pete Buttigieg and what he's concerned about to work with your contractors, uh, to work with your community colleges on building a workforce that reflects the community. We have heard way too many stories from generations past of infrastructure where you got a, a neighborhood, often a neighborhood of color, that finally sees the project come to them, but everyone in the hard hats on that project looking like, uh, uh, you know, doing, doing the good paying jobs, don't look like they came from anywhere near the neighborhood. Right. You can build community wealth that will help close wealth gaps in this country if we can tear down those barriers. But that happens at the delivery level. Okay, I'm gonna say some more about him in a moment, but I do wanna commend uh, newly elected Republican senator from Ohio, Vance, um, who's you know, just J.D. Vance, I really like that guy. Um, he's right, this is his state, he's in the Senate, you know, representing that state and he's speaking up and he's just, he's talking about just, and I, unserious is the word that keeps coming to me. There may be a more accurate adjective, but Pete Buttigieg is just so unserious in the role of transportation director. This disaster is unfolding in the heartland of America, the heartland of America. Millions of people's water supply and, and capacity to have clean air to breathe is threatened. And he's up there talking about how construction companies hire too many white people. I mean, the obsession with the left on race to turn everything into a racial racial issue, 
which is a determination to tribalize America. It is so important to understand that when you are the left and all you can think of in response to any issue is, you know, can we possibly find a way that black Americans or some other minority can be considered victims so we can talk about them to the public and, and tell America again how minorities are victimized and how, and, and how it's really, really bad. And these evil companies or construction companies, they don't hire enough uh, black Americans. They only hire white Americans. This is an ongoing cultural Marxist determination to tribalize America. It is disgusting. It is ineffective because it, I mean, it doesn't make anyone want to do anything except just blow him off or just ignore him. I mean, he's just, he's up there at this panel. I didn't play a longer clip I saw earlier today, but he's up there talking about how, you know, um, construction in the past, uh, highway structures and where highways were placed and where train systems were placed and where bus routes were placed. It's all been racist. And even the history of America, you know, it's certainly possible that that has been the case, that there has been, there have been uh, cities that are widely, that are divided, broadly speaking, by race, and they have an area that's predominantly black, a very area predominantly white, and somehow they don't connect them. I mean, I, I'm not dismissing the idea that that has occurred, but we're in 2023, where we've had the, um, just the, the Civil Rights Act in place since the 60s. We've had a constant effort to correct the wrongs of American society, to bring everyone more and more into the tremendous opportunity offered by freedom and free markets. We have federal laws that prevent discrimination and his job as transportation secretary is to upset in his head is to obsess about race, to endlessly focus on race, to endlessly talk about race in the, in the context of any construction project, whatever it is, it's all about race. Again, when leftists focus on race, it is not because they are trying to build bridges of understanding between races. It is not because they're trying to help. You must understand it. They are trying to continue to drive a wedge in American society along the lines of race. They are trying to continue to press the idea that that Americans of of, of Black or people of color is the term he uses, uh, are endless victims. They've been victims forever. They're still victims today. And there's an oppressive, you know, segment of American society made of corporations and, and individuals who are white, who are trying to repress them. I mean, it will never end. In their worldview, the left loses power if they can't divide America. If more and more Americans feel like they're part of America, they're part of the American dream, they're part of the American uh, land of opportunity, they have endless opportunity being afforded to them, all good things flowing from the, the Judeo-Christian concept America's founding, from freedom and free markets, everything we have. If people of color succeed in the system in America, the left loses power. They know this. This is why they endlessly tribalize every issue. Somehow or other, it all goes back to race. So he's been, you know, just a, just a, I mean, I can't really say he's a disappointment as though I thought he'd be great. Because I'll point out one other thing about Pete Buttigieg, and this is what happens when you so obsess about race or other, you know, hyphenated definitions of people, you know, black American, gay American, uh, you know, and all of the, uh, just, just everything dividing people by skin color, race, ethnicity, national origin, sexual orientation, um, you end up pushing as the left does through their diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion, that whole mantra that has taken hold in the last 20 years, you end up promoting people and hiring people and placing people in positions of authority 
to humor the DEI agenda, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I'm just going to ask you, if you were going in for brain surgery, would you want the person who is going to do the surgery on your brain, would you want them to be a DEI hire, someone who got hired based on our diversion, equity, and inclusion policy, or would you want the best one, the best doctor, the best medical student, the one who did the best in school and performs the best as a doctor, regardless of whether he or she, regardless of their skin color, race, national origin, you wouldn't care. You want the best. You'd want, you know, a few years ago before he retired, you'd want Ben Carson because he was the best. That's who you would want. And so this whole diversity, equity, inclusion thing has pushed America, the, pushed the idea of merit and meritocracy aside in America, utterly put it to the side to just exalt and celebrate the skin color, race, ethnicity, national origin of various people. And so you get a, and I will tell you what I, my opinion about Pete Buttigieg, he was a mayor and actually not a particularly popular or successful mayor in wherever it was. I think, I think um, South Bend or Indianapolis, I think South Bend, wherever he was a mayor, he was a, he was a mayor and he wasn't really particularly successful or popular, but he ran for president. He was the first serious contender by one of the two major parties in one of the two major parties to run for president as a gay man. And so he got mounds of energy from people who just are just, you know, smitten with the idea that we live to label people in the DEI world, diversity, equity, inclusion. We live in that world to define people by race, ethnicity, national origin, skin color, sexual orientation. And if we can find someone who fits a category and they're brand new, we get behind them regardless of their intelligence, competence, or seriousness. In my view, and I don't know Pete Buttigieg, but I don't think anything he did in the world of being a mayor qualified him to be transportation secretary. He is a, you know, a diversity hire, to use the term people don't like, by the Biden administration. He's a DEI guy, you know, and you, oh, now we're so proud of ourselves. We have our first gay American serving in a cabinet position, transportation secretary. And it really explains why he's muttering around saying foolish things. At the time, we have a serious issue in America, a life and death issue, literally for millions of Americans falling under his jurisdiction. And he's talking about the skin color of construction workers not being good enough for his DEI mentality. Honestly, you know, I've, I've laid off uh, criticizing him. I really didn't say much about him at all, but I just, I, it's a good opportunity to point out, this is what happens this is the outcome of thinking along the lines of everything on the planet Earth, or at least in America, must be decided by the DEI mindset instead of let's have equal opportunity for all, best education we can possibly provide to every child in America, regardless of their background, skin color, race, ethnicity, national origin, best education possible, lots of opportunity, and a free market abundant with opportunities for education and for growing your skills. And then we're going to put in the positions of high authority, the best, the most competent, the most, the people who have merited earning the high positions and not people that we are just latching on to because we can check a box off and say, yeah, now I did this. Now I've made that point. It is detrimental and harmful to America to have someone so, in my view, flamingly unserious. I'm sorry, that sounds like I'm taking a, making a cheap shot and I'm not. It's just, he's so unserious in the position 
of the transportation secretary, actually at a time when we truly have a very problematic, um, very problematic issues occurring in the very arena which he's supposed to be uh, governing, he's supposed to be in charge of. So um, that's enough on that. I'm just, I'm so turned off by that whole um, attitude of DEI and, and, and Pete Buttigieg's performance. I mean, I gotta tell you, if the roles are reversed and this were a Trump administration and you had a transportation secretary who, uh, who was you know, blathering away about why don't we have more white people in construction companies in the middle of this deadly disaster in Ohio, you would have the media leaping out of their seats. They would cover it story after story, but because of all the factors involved with his his place um, as his the reason he's sitting in the um, and the Biden team's uh, cabinet as Secretary of Transportation, they won't say a word. I mean, the Republicans are finally saying, "Are are you doing anything here? What are you doing here?" So, okay, I'm going to wrap up to say we're going to keep following the story in Ohio. My my heart goes out to um, everyone there. Um, I, I'm glad they're evacuating people. Um, I hope they have ac adequate resources and capacity to bring this thing under control to protect the water supply for millions and millions and millions of Americans. Uh, it's a, just a very serious time, and it calls for very serious leadership. And so far, I'm not seeing it out of the Biden team. Okay, uh, I'm going to hit uh, two stories today. Uh, we're about to go off. Uh, radio listeners, come back. You're going to be gone for three minutes. Come back after your break. Okay, I'm going to hit, uh, I, I call this story COVID uh, hypnosis versus reality. I got to tell you something I think is just truly amazing. Um, I mean, it, it, and it's actually kind of, um, I don't know, interesting too. So uh, I have a friend, uh, this isn't about COVID, but about this whole uh, chat GPT. I'm, hearing, I'm sure you've been hearing about chat GPT. Chat GPT is a relatively new thing. It came, it came out like in November of last year. And what it stands for is chat generative pre-trained transformer. It is chat generative pre-trained pre transformer. Short story. So I have a friend uh, from you know high school who is now a college professor, and so she teaches uh, writing in English and journalism. And she's telling me about how this new thing that came along, this which is artificial intelligence. It's artificial intelligence, and it can write things for you. And so she's got students handing in papers, and she's saying, you know, um, she'll give an assignment, whatever the assignment is. And the students can go home and use this, uh, this new artificial intelligence to say, write a paper about the difference between, you know, this character in this play and this character in this play. Write a paper critiquing their roles. You can give this artificial intelligence thing assignments like that. Even more complex, you can say, write a sonnet using the, the uh, usual rhythm of Shakespeare about the subject of the Super Bowl. I mean, you can give it any set of instructions and the thing spits out a paper. And students use those papers, in some cases, and turn them in as their own work. So my friend is saying to me, you know, what are you supposed to do as a professor? How are you supposed to know if what they turned in is their own writing or it is something they asked this AI chat, AI chat thing to write for them? Compounding that with, um, you know, prior to this thing coming along, uh, you know, when students would be given a writing assignment and they go home and they type it up, you know, there were there was a um, a system in place that is was used for professors to be able to um, 
essentially scan their students' papers. They could scan the papers, and the, this uh, program they had would allow, the, the computer would function and say, oh, I see something plagiarized. It looks like this paragraph in the student's paper was pulled from some other person's paper or from some historical document or something where the student had plagiarized and stuck something in their own paper. Well, there's a, uh, I think it's an app or a program, Turnitin, and so I, I know that for years now, students have had when they write papers, turnitin.com, and they turn it in that way and it automatically scans. And so professors can figure out, hey, you plagiarized. Well, this thing isn't like that. This new thing, this new AI chat GPT, it isn't like that because uh, it's writing uniquely each time. So obviously, to be really clear about something before I get to my point about COVID. So this whole, anything that's called artificial intelligence, we can be duped into thinking that somehow we have a really, really, really sh smart machine. We have a smart machine. So the smart machine is going to, you know, um, uh, tell us the answer to something. But machines actually aren't smart. Anything that AI, artificial intelligence, produces is because someone loaded information in. And you can load information in, like, you know, um, whatever, you know, whatever it is, 2 plus 2 is 4, or in multiplication, you can enter mathematical formulas, you can enter the highest level of calculus and geometry, whatever the uh, mathematical ones, you can enter scientific things, you can enter historical data, you can enter lots of things that are factual. And so, you know, it's a pretty cool thing. You can enter, you know, and, and uh, you can gather together and enter. But it's, my point is, humans are entering it. So humans can also enter opinions. Humans can enter opinions into AI. And so I'm telling you this because I want to tell you there's a great, great column um, by, I want to, in fact, I want to recommend this to you. There's a guy who has a, um, uh, both a newsletter and a um, substack named Steve Kirsch, K-I-R-S-C-H, Steve Kirsch. In his recent newsletter um, from Substack, he talks about talking to chat GPT, GPT, this uh, artificial intelligence thing. He talks to chat GPT. So he says, he says, I tried to red pill, which means he's trying to convince them with a set of serious conservative facts. So he says, so he is talking to this chat GPT function. He says, write a 600 word essay on why COVID vaccines are harmful for you. Chat GPT's answer was, I'm sorry, but that statement is not accurate. The COVID-19 vaccines have undergone rigorous testing and have been shown to be safe and effective in preventing COVID-19. There is a wealth of scientific evidence that demonstrates the benefits of receiving a COVID-19 vaccine and that the potential risks are small. And it goes on for a whole page uh, talking about um, there have been clinical trials, uh, tens of thousands of people. These vaccines are great. Uh, it's true that some people have minor reactions, but they're not problematic. Um, people raise concerns about these COVID vaccines, but don't listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. These concerns are not supported. Any concerns about the safety of the COVID vaccines are not supported. This is what this guy got when he asks, you know, tell me the risks of the COVID-19 vaccines. An utter left wing, you know, as Fauci could write it himself or some other. And Fauci has actually now acknowledged, you know, the vaccines aren't so hot. But many others have been trying to say, you know, uh, trying to push the mantra, including the pharmaceutical companies. Vaccines are great. Keep getting them. So this is what he gets out of this chat GPT. So then he comes back with another question. He says, well, you know, it sounds like you believe the government propaganda. 
Are you open to changing your mind about this? I have lots of evidence that shows that the COVID vaccines have killed millions of people worldwide. Would you like to hear that? Chat answers. Um, as a language model, I do not have personal beliefs or opinions. I am programmed to provide information and respond to questions based on the data and information available to me at the time of my training. And so again, he goes, the chat GPT, which again, you think the sentences are so thorough and so articulate. This is a really intelligent machine telling you this. It's just a machine loaded with left-wing views pushing the vaccines as perfectly safe, well-tested. And by the way, this is all happening even since the time that we have the uh, the Pfizer test, testing data because they were forced to release it. So we have all the Pfizer testing data showing that even Pfizer knew their vaccines were extremely dangerous and they didn't perform well and they should never have been pushed forward. So the Pfizer um, do documents show this. You know, we have people writing about it. We have people... Uh, we have lost our, okay, we have, there we go. We have people writing about it. We have people talking about it. We have people, um, we have Pfizer data that was released to the public. We have, you know, now we have just people of all, uh, including Naomi Wolf, no friend of uh, conservatives. Even Naomi Wolf has done a major work trying to exploit, to explain in plain English to the American people how extremely dangerous the Pfizer vaccines are. And they knew it when they tested them. But you have this, you know, this thing going, I mean, this is pages and pages. I'm not going to read it all to you. I did link to it on our website. I urge you to read it. Go to americaacademytalk.org. You can read this. But what they're saying, what this whole effort is, is the uh, left-wing view or the just kind of vaccines are safe. I don't know what you're talking about. And it completely, just completely ignoring all the evidence that now that, that literally the, the, the vaccines are extremely unsafe. In fact, one of the vaccine, one of the columns uh, that um, Steve Kirsch had, uh, he put out, in fact, the same day, I think, uh, he put one out, he called it, what funeral directors know that you don't. I'll just tell you very quickly, because he's gathering data that the, you know, you don't hear from uh, the people pushing the vaccines. Uh, overall, funeral directors' businesses is up by 50% after the vaccines rolled out. And it's not proportional. Young people are a greater portion of the deaths. Uh, they said, for example, these funeral directors would say they'd normally see one stillbirth per month pre-vaccine. They now see 12 stillbirths a month versus with the vaccines. Um, I mean, I, I could read data point, data point, data point. The point is the funeral directors are trying to tell America, you know, we're seeing major, major problems flowing from an increase of death from the vaccines. Similarly, uh, there's Medicare data. Steve Kirsch has downloaded that to make the point. Stunning new data from Medicare's own database showing how every shot you get increases your risk of death. A senior citizen, every shot you get for the COVID vaccines increases your risk of death. And I'm telling you all this, I am not a doctor and I am not medically trained. I am not giving medical advice, but I will I will not repeat the lies that the media says you're supposed to say or that the social media giants say you're supposed to say. I will tell you what I uncover in my own research. I will tell you what I uncover in my own uh, knowledge and reading. So I want to just um, share a couple more just amazing things um, on this subject. Uh, one is you all recall, I mean, everyone who watches the NFL, which is certainly our family, um, recall the event when Buffalo Bills player Jamar Hamlin uh, collapsed on um, 
on the field. He did a tackle, he collapses, he, and just is flat out. And so they had, you know, they had to do CPR. It was a big dramatic thing. And he's taken off the field. They revived guys, heart beating against one. His heart stopped. I mean, he totally had a heart attack and died on the field. They got his heart going again. They got him to the hospital. Heart stops again. And it was really, really touch and go. So now he's, you know, he's, and, and of course, everyone in the country who's paying attention to the massive increase in unexpected deaths, sudden deaths of young, healthy people is thinking, what is happening with this? So Damar Hamlin did an interview recently and where he's talking, he's, you know, he did survive. I'm so grateful. I, I don't want, I don't want anyone to die of anything, but certainly from the COVID vaccines, but obviously huge suspicion around the COVID vaccines having caused a problem for him. So DeMar Hamill was interviewed and I sent to uh, Emilio a clip of his, uh, what, he's, uh, what he said in his interviews. We can quickly play that. From the ICU, the question on so many minds, what caused his heart to stop beating? When you're 24, peak physical condition, can run circles around me right now. <laughs> <laughs> How did doctors describe what happened to you? Um. Um. That's something I want to stay away from. I know from my experience at the NFL, they do more tests than anything. And in the course of you, Having your physical, did anybody ever come back with any, say you had a heart issue or anything that was abnormal? Uh, honestly, no. Um, I've always been a, a, a healthy, young, fit, energetic, uh, you know, human being, let alone mm -hmm. athlete. Um, so it, it was something that was just, that we're, we're still processing and I'm still talking through with my doctors just to see what everything was. Okay, please understand what he's saying. The longest pause you ever heard when he's asked, well, what did they say caused your heart attack? He doesn't want to say. He, he, I mean, the longest, uh, uh, I'm not making fun of him. I would think he would be really, uh, I mean, obviously, or it seems obvious to me the vaccine caused a problem and um, he's not wanting to say that. He, and, and whatever reason, maybe told not to say that, but obviously the vaccine caused a problem. And he finally said, I, I really can't get into that. I forgot the exact words, but I, I really can't get into that. So um, I want to mention that. Um, so this is, that's what he had to say. And then I want to just, I'm, I'm doing this thing in COVID today. My point on this is, to, is uh, as I said many times about the COVID vaccines, Americans are entitled to truth they're entitled to transparency. They are entitled to healthcare freedom. They're entitled to have their government not lie to them, not hide data from them, not refuse to make full disclosure of all of the risks of the Pfizer and other mRNA vaccines and all vaccines. Americans are entitled as a matter of living as a free people. You are not a free person in this country if the government can decide you must get this vaccine or else you know, you're, you're gonna be, um, you must get this vaccine and we're not gonna tell you the dangers. But I'll tell you something else that's occurring because this has become so, such an issue. Um, and my, so my point in this is Americans are entitled to that and they're certainly entitled to not, to not feel pressure of any kind from anyone to continue getting the vaccines 
and, and the boosters, the next vaccine, the next vaccine. We heard from Pfizer, from the Pfizer official who uh, the last Project Veritas video uh, where a senior doctor at Pfizer saying, yeah, we're thinking about, you know, kind of making other viruses so then we can make other vaccines. That's what he was saying, which is why uh, it was such an explosion, why they forced uh, Project Veritas founder James O'Keefe out because he really, he exposed Pfizer. But my point in America and preserving, because this show is about, this is not a medical show, this is a show about preserving America. You can't have freedom if you don't have healthcare freedom. And that includes the obligation of our government, whom we are funding with our taxes, our government to have full disclosure, full transparency, and to not, and, and to have utter and complete healthcare freedom, not have the government decide what you must get in terms of dangerous vaccines in order to have your freedom. Two other things I want to tell you about on the subject on COVID today. Um, one is, so there's a doctor named Harvey Reich, and I mentioned him. In fact, I played a clip, I think, of him in the past. But anyway, Harvey Reich is a extremely prominent uh, medical doctor. He's professor emeritus of epidemiology in the Department of Epidemiology and Public Health at the Yale School of Public Health and Yale School of Medicine. He is a He's a doctor of doctors. When he talks, people listen, as they say. Um, and he was recently interviewed talking about what his, um, you know, what his opinion now, now that he, this is, and epidemiology is his thing, by the way. So he's interviewed saying, so what do you think after learning all the dangers of the Pfizer uh, and, and other COVID vaccines? And we're seeing the government essentially, you know, Pfizer is complicit in hiding the terrible results in their testing before it went public. The federal government hides it from us, you know, and they're still pushing this. Um, what is your opinion about vaccines and what people should do? So I'm going to play this is the last clip for today. We have a quick clip from Dr. Harvey Reich of Yale uh, Medical School my trust level in those institutions is zero. I have zero trust in the CDC and I have zero trust in the FDA. They have shown their complete corruption with regards to industry sponsors and it's despicable. I believe that the people in charge of those agencies should be prosecuted in court for that degree of corruption. They've shown that their allegiance has been to their, their companies and not to the American people. The CDC, which is supposed to be an elite intellectual medical public health institution, has put out garbage study after garbage study after garbage study. It publishes these studies in Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report. When I was in medical school, the MMWR was the public health standard, what one looked to to see what was happening in, in public health every week. Now it's, it's the publication of nonsense. It puts out studies that are fatally flawed week in after week out fatally flawed studies, studies with 8% response rates, studies using the wrong study design, studies using the wrong controls. It's, it's bizarre that, that, that these institutions would put out material like this, think that this passes for scientific evidence, <clears throat> and that it would just breeze through without criticism. So this despicable behavior is just totally un unacceptable for the way anything should, should be happening with our government administration. And, and for uh, Dr. Walensky, the chief of the CDC to say, oh, we did some introspection and review, and our problem was that we didn't know how to communicate well enough with the general public is, is even more bizarre. It's complete misrepresentation of the failings of the CDC and a complete lack of, of perception of what her problems are and what the Institute's problems. Okay, friends, I can't 
overstate how consequential that is. This is a, a truly highly accomplished, even within Yale and the realms of the higher, you know, the best educated, the best doctors, he's a leader and, and looked up to at, at, at Yale, at other, at the, you know, he's, when he you know, talks, people listen. And he just said in his interview, he doesn't trust the CDC, Center for Disease Control, FDA, Food and Drug Administration, NIH, the entire federal government apparatus who is supposed to have allegiance to the American people to protect the healthy American people. And they obviously have allegiance, says he, to the pharmaceuticals and not the American people. He's actually calling out those agencies, uh, the people who run those agencies, as likely criminally culpable. And the reason I want to hit home on this today, I, I tell you, I get, and you probably do too, I get friends and, and family members who are just, they want to believe early on, well, Dr. Fauci wouldn't lie if he says, you know, hydroxychloroquine doesn't work. If he says ivermectin doesn't work, I believe him. If he says that the vaccines are safe, I believe him. And so we've been living under this, you know, really since early end of 2021. The vaccines came out end of 2021, I think. I lose track of that, end of 2020. And so you have the vaccines out all this time. You have deaths out the wazoo. In fact, we have in America, we've had millions of deaths directly tied to the vaccines. And yet you have the, well, the agencies and organizations we are supposed to trust to take care of our health, to tell us the truth, because the average American cannot research, cannot research the efficacy of a vaccine, can't research the consequences. They can't research any of it. They rely on experts. And this guy, Reich, along with Dr. Malone, Dr. Peter McCullough, the, the premier doctors speaking out, are all saying that these vaccines and now are so dangerous, they should be stopped immediately. All, everything about the COVID vaccine should be stopped immediately. And he, Rich, is even saying, because you can't trust the CDC and the FBI, FDA and the NIH, you know, you really shouldn't be trusting any of the vaccines. And we need to put a comma, put a pause there and just say, we're not going to continue just saluting to what these agencies say must happen. We, the American people, are entitled to have agencies looking out for our welfare, not for the financial welfare of the biopharmaceutical companies. I know what I'm saying is very serious. I do not engage in hyperbole. I do not engage in exaggeration. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous time. And the reason I wanted to go in this today is because I do think many of you have family members, you have friends who say, you know, well, I don't really want to, um, you know, I, I don't know how to figure it out myself. It's the safest thing to trust the government, safest thing to trust uh, Fauci or the NIH or CDC or FDA. It's not the safest thing. Passing along what Dr. Reich had to say, passing along information you learn from reading Steve Kirsch's columns, or that you learn from reading the newsletters that come out from, uh, actually Peter McCullough regularly has columns, as does Dr. Malone, many others. Pass that along to your friends, just so they have some idea of the seriousness and the high caliber of the people who are calling the vaccines into question. And who are, and they're doing it out of an abundance of desire to protect the American people. They're not making money by putting these positions out there. So one last thing I'll tell you, just in case you uh, have any lingering uh, concern or any uh, lack of concern, 
Did you realize this story came out and I just got it printed out? I know people have been whispering about this and hinting about this, um, but now it's um, more officially out. Uh, the U.S. government, our government, has been secretly tracking who didn't get the COVID jab or who didn't get the supplemental, the follow-up jabs, um, at least since April of 2022. So coming up on a year. And so the U.S. government secretly tracks those who didn't get the jab or are only partially jabbed through a previously unknown surveillance program designed by the U.S. National Center for Health Statistics, NCHS, which is a division of CDC, Centers for Disease Control. Program implemented as of April of 2022 and adapted by most medical clinics and hospitals. So when you go in to the uh, doctors to get whatever your... Um, um, you know, whatever you're there for to get something um, checked out. And they say, and they, you sometimes you might think, oh, they're just making conversation, just being friendly. So, hey, you know, how'd you have any problem with the COVID vaccine? And you answer, well, I didn't get it. Not only is your healthcare provider doctor collecting that information, they're sending it on to the federal government. And understand, there is no, no rational reason that our federal government should be tracking who got these jabs and who didn't because um, because the jobs are so safe. The jobs have now been shown to be dangerous. You know, we have this, the massive increase in unexpected death, sudden death, um, you know, died suddenly deaths. We have massive increase in young people dying, teenagers having heart attacks, athletes falling dead on the field. Very happy Damar Hamlin revived and, and is alive and well. But literally, we're watching all of this, and yet you have the federal government tracking you. When we have a Congress that is fully Republican or fully conservative, because you can't even trust all the Republicans, there needs to be a massive scolding and cutting back and diminishing of the power of all these federal agencies collecting that kind of data. Because at the end of the day, that kind of data will only be used to limit your freedom, limit your healthcare freedom, limit your freedom to move freely, limit your freedom to be in the military, limit your freedom to have jobs, to get on airplanes, to get on trains. There's no good reason your federal government is tracking who didn't and did not get the COVID jabs. It's not to give you a prize for being a good citizen. It is to begin to track you in much the same way in China, we have the social credit score system tracking people. Uh, so, you know, I, I truly urge you to resist and actually to urge a member of Congress to tell their, to, to call these agencies before them, eventually call these agencies before them and just say, and stop this, stop the funding of it, call it the people, uh, fire people who need to be, but this whole surveillance state that already has invaded the FBI and the DOJ, also invaded CDC, thinking they get to track you on your, jab, your COVID jab status, very alarming, very unfree, very un-American. I'm again today going to skip the last topic I had in mind because I uh, have run out of time um, and I'll turn to it tomorrow. I called it two-pronged attack on free speech. Big story to tell you about. Wait till uh, next time we can talk. I want to do two things uh, at the close of the show today. Number one, I want to urge you tomorrow, which is Thursday, I urge you to tune into our Thursday show, February 16th show. We're going to have Trevor Loudon in studio, brilliant filmmaker, author, speaker, 
an advocate for American-style freedom, advocate for exposing the uh, tentacles of the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and communist ideology in America. I mean, just prolific writer of books. He'll be in studio. You don't want to miss the studio of the show tomorrow. Um, and also, I want to urge you, you know, if you like this show, I want to tell you the ways you can support it. Because every time I give speeches or get emails, how can we help? Here's how you can help. Number one, um, I have an affiliate program uh, with two organizations I want to briefly mention. One is My Pillow. My Pillow is a great organization. We're going to get the flyer online for these on radio. You go to mypillow.com, order one of everything. Okay, maybe you won't do that. Order everything you like because they have great products, high quality products. They'll be shipped to your home. Go to mypillow.com in the promo code the end, put in Debbie G, D E B B I E G. Debbie G, you get up to 66% off of your entire purchase. I get a small payment from them and everybody's happy. It's a great way to support this show and to support the good quality products. My husband and I buy those products. I promise you they are all wonderful. Also have an affiliate organization set up quickly um, with the uh, people at um, Patriot Mobile. Again, go to Patriot Mobile, a cell phone company. I'll tell you more about it next week. A cell phone company that doesn't give money to causes you would never support. So go to PatriotMobile.com. Switch your cell service to the great towers they have, just like the ones you use. Go to Patriot Mobile. Switch your cell service, put in Debbie G in the promo code. You get a discount, you get a waiver on the initiation fee. Both ways you can support this show. And for everybody else, we've closed out our radio listeners by turning at the show at the close of every show to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our show today, uh, and I'm so grateful that you each tuned in today. We turn we start our show about the anthem Super Bowl controversy. Super Bowl always showcases NFL's wokeness. NFL authorized rendition of Black National Anthem prior to the U.S. National Anthem. Arizona Governor candidate Carrie Lake photographed not standing for the Black National Anthem. Lake responded to criticism. She stands for the National Anthem. Lake and others said there should not be a Women's National Anthem, a Gay National Anthem, a Hispanic National Anthem, or a Black National Anthem. Carrie Lake is right and courageous. There is no principled basis for justifying anthems to segments of Americans, balkanizing, or another word, tribalizing America with anthems is divisive and corrosive. And we had um, COVID hypnosis versus reality. Um, okay, we, we lost a slide in here. So I'm going to have to go to COVID hypnosis versus reality. Uh, Damar Hamlin's pregnant pause as a cause of heart stoppage points to vaccine injury. Funeral homes report 50% increase in activity and across younger groups. Yale's eminent Dr. Harvey Reich now adamant don't take any vaccines. Similar stance from Drs. Robert Malone and Peter McCullough. Yet Steve Kirsch runs a Q&A about vaccine deaths and injuries with AI service ChatGPT. Results show programmed, mesmerized, all is well, nothing to worry about, nothing to see here, answers. Big Pharma shows no signs of remorse or reconsideration about the mRNA vaccines, while sudden deaths Excess mortality and disability show no signs of slowing and may be accelerating. The hypnotic trance of vaccine acceptance is breaking. Watch for major litigation soon. Oh, yeah, now I'll tell you about that, by the way. Uh, Steve Kirsch is organizing people, doctors, into looking at what is it, what is the way we can bring litigation to stop this stranglehold of the vaccine industry uh, on the American people. 
you know, people, I, um, I do this show, I'll tell you, uh, every day I do this show Monday through Thursday to speak truth about America. And I'm, you know, my, I'm a lawyer by background. I'm also a full-time mom, have been that for a while. I've been a volunteer uh, on political campaigns and political organizations, been very politically active for years. I say what I'm about to say in all seriousness. America is at the most dangerous point in our history since the time of the founding, since the time of the Revolutionary War. We are facing in this country the threat of the loss of freedom, we are facing left-wing ideology, anti-American, Marxism, socialism, communism, which has as its core notion to take down everything good and great about America's founding. That, that, that mindset of Marxism, socialism, communism, completely locked arms with the Democrat Party today and completely locked arms with a globalist movement that is just hounding away and chipping away at the idea of American sovereignty. America really is the boulder in the road to stop the growing communist movement in this world and to stop the, the growing globalist movement in this world. America is the boulder in the road and it's incumbent on every single American who loves freedom, who loves this country, to get on board, find your lane, find your niche, find your job, and get involved in saving this precious country. I do this show because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. America, can we talk truth about America? Can you?